Welcome back to Pro Football Network's premier fantasy football podcast. I'm your host, BJ Rudell. With me, as always, is PFN fantasy analyst Jason Katz, better known as Katz. We're going to do something a little different today, looking at uh, last year's uh, quarterbacks who were not QB1s and trying to assess which of them have a good shot, are, are, are basically underdogs, but we think could very easily. There is a clear path for them to become top eight quarterbacks in 2022. You heard me right, top eight, going from not even a QB1 to top eight. Katz, I'm throwing it to you now. What are your thoughts on having that conversation? The first thing that we need to discuss when it comes to quarterbacks is what it means to be a QB1 and what it means to be a top eight quarterback because it's changed drastically over the past decade. Back in 2011, and I use 2011 because that was the great QB boom. In the year 2011, zero quarterbacks averaged 20 fantasy points per game. Then, uh, sorry, prior to 2011. Then in 2011, we saw five quarterbacks average between 22 and 27 fantasy points per game. And this is really the start of the aerial assault that became NFL offenses. And in, our, in recent history, We've seen more and more quarterbacks eclipse that 20 fantasy points per game threshold. For example, in 2017, we had four quarterbacks averaging 20 fantasy points per game. In 2018 and 2019, we saw eight. In 2020, 10 would have been 11 if Dak Prescott didn't get hurt. And then in 2021, we had 11. There was a time when if we're looking for somebody who's finishing in the top eight, we're, we're, we're thinking, okay, we just need to see someone who can get to around maybe 17 to 18 fantasy points per game. But now, if you even get to 20, that may not be enough. It's still, if we get 20 fantasy points per game out of our quarterback, we're happy about that for sure. But last year, the quarterback 11 averaged 20 fantasy points per game. Uh, so, so it's not all created equal anymore. So with that in mind, uh, I'm going to kick it to you, BJ. Uh, you go first here. Who is your quarterback that you think is can crack the top eight this season? Well, I'm going to start off with uh, uh, a relatively safe one. And by relatively safe, this person is not going to seem safe. But compared to the other one, he might seem relatively safe. And that's Tua Tagovailoa, um, who, uh, let's face it, uh, even the year he was drafted, some question whether Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, uh, should have been starting all season uh, instead of Tua coming in and getting some reps, especially in a season where the Dolphins had a decent shot of making the playoffs. And some might argue that that shift in quarterback back and forth, and then Ryan Fitzpatrick coming in and bailing out Tua in one game, that that could have really uh, messed up the synergy on the team. And then you get the offseason and, and then coming into the season with Tua and doubts about whether he was a franchise quarterback and rumors about Deshaun Watson, everything else. This is now a season where for the first time going into his third season, there is a very good chance that Tua controls his own destiny, that he can finally establish himself with Tyreek Hill, with Jalen Waddell, with Mike Kosicki and the rest of the offense, and become the kind of quarterback that the Dolphins hoped he would be when they drafted big for him as a, as a future franchise quarterback they think they hope he is the best quarterback they've drafted since dan marino 
he definitely has the weapons to do it. And if we look at what he did last season, even under the spotlight of, you know, it, it essentially wait, people waiting for him to struggle um, and going almost exclusively to Jalen Waddell, um, he averaged about 14 uh, fantasy points a game. Not great. And again, that's why I say he's safer than my other one, which sounds bizarre. But I think Tua is in that in that mode where he has nowhere to go but up. Um, he he his offensive numbers should go up across all criteria: yards, touchdowns, rushing yards. Um, he wasn't a bad quarterback last year. It just the offense was basically funneling through Waddle and a little bit through Gasicki. I think that this offense becomes very multidimensional. I love Chase Edmonds in a pass-catching role, an upgrade uh, over uh, over Miles Gaskin in that role. And I see Tua Tagovailoa having a path to 18 to 19 fantasy points a game. That doesn't mean he's going to get there, but I think he has a clear path to taking that next step forward of pushing that you know roughly 200 yards a game that he was throwing to about 250 and changing that little over, you know, one touchdown. He had about one and a half touchdowns a game when you factor in his rushing touchdowns. And I think he can push that to 2.2, 2.3 easily. And so you could be looking realistically at a guy getting 35, 38 total touchdowns this year based on largely him getting more comfortable in that offense and the arrival of Tyreek Hill, which we cannot underestimate. Katz, what are your thoughts on that? I think the arrival of Tyreek Hill is the key here because people are going to look at Tua's numbers last year. And obviously 14.7 fantasy points per game. That's not getting it done. That's a guy that you maybe stream once in a while. Uh, but he actually did lead all quarterbacks in deep ball completion percentage. The problem is he just didn't really throw the ball deep. It, it was, it was a, a lack of a volume thing. He only averaged about 6.9 air yards per attempt. What we want to see from him is more downfield passing. Well, now they've got Tyreek Hill. I would be surprised if if they didn't throw the ball downfield more. Uh, if we recall, the parallel that I've drawn in the past uh, when, when discussing this is, is Alex Smith. In 2016, Alex Smith averaged 15.2 fantasy points per game. That is just 0.5 more than what Tua just averaged. I know it was it was six years ago, so a little bit of a different time in quarterbacks in terms of how many how prolific quarterbacks were. But nevertheless, 0.5 fantasy points per game difference, and he averaged that season just uh, 6.7 adjusted yards per attempt. The following year, 2017, Tyreek Hill, that's his breakout year. All of a sudden, Alex Smith is second in the league in adjusted yards per attempt, and he's up there averaging 20 fantasy points per game, finishing inside the top five. If Alex Smith can do that, and that was uh, in his, what, 12th, 13th season? Yeah, he was, he was like 32, 33, I think, at that point, if I'm not mistaken. Right. We've got a 24-year-old two attack of Iloa in his third NFL season. It's certainly within the range of outcomes. Very good. Well, who do, throw someone out at me, and we'll see if I'm just as kind as you were, Katz. Well, I'm going to preface this with uh, – and again, I know I spoke a little bit glowingly about Tua there and how I, know I do believe in him. But in general, I'm looking at a specific type of quarterback when I'm trying to chase that top eight, and it's, uh, it's a mobile quarterback. Of the top eight fantasy quarterbacks in 2021, only Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers completely lack mobility. Uh, Dak Prescott was pushing toward the top eight, depending on uh, little uh, quirks and scoring systems. He threw for 4,500 yards, 
37 touchdowns. And by my scoring, what I'm going by, he just couldn't, he couldn't quite crack that uh, top eight. Of, Q, of QBs 9 through 16, all but one of them contribute little to nothing on the ground. It's very difficult for a non-mobile quarterback to reach 20 fantasy points per game or crack that top eight. But the non-mobile quarterbacks are very, very good at giving you that reliable low QB1, high QB2 production. So I'm not saying to ignore the non-mobile quarterbacks, but if you're chasing that ceiling, you want someone that can run. That was a very long preamble, so I'm going to get into it now. Trey Lance is my first selection here. He started two games as a rookie. Wow. He played over half the snaps in a third, replacing an injured Jimmy Garoppolo. He scored 20.4 fantasy points in, in one half of football in week four, filling in for Jimmy G. The next week, he started 15.6 fantasy points. And in week 17, he got another start, 20.1 fantasy points. Most importantly, in those three games, he averaged 53 rushing yards per game. And this is a rookie Trey Lance who was not uh, given – First team reps during the offseason, for the most part, he was not uh, supposed to be the starter as a rookie. Now he's entering his second season expected to be the starter. He's been told in not so many words he is going to be the starter. You know, Jimmy G is still there, but the prevailing belief is that Lance will start. And with a full offseason to get integrated into that starting role, Lance's ceiling is as high as anyone's in his second season. I love that pick. Uh, I was huge on Trey Lance uh, last season, thinking that he would overtake Garoppolo. Uh, I think the Niners uh, made a, a a bad decision to uh, not go to Trey Lance. I know they thought they could win it all with Garoppolo. He'd been to the Super Bowl before. Um, I frankly believe that Garoppolo is not a Super Bowl caliber quarterback. That might not be fair to say, but I think the, a, a good case could be made that that team would have had a better chance of getting to the Super Bowl again if Trey Lance had started week one and developed all season. The defense, the running game, Debo Samuel, every way you look at it, that team was built to go far. And Jimmy Garoppolo is a good NFL quarterback, and it's very hard for good NFL quarterbacks to elevate their team to the next level. I love the idea of Trey Lance getting a shot, showing what he can do. He's probably going to make a lot of mistakes, but people who are patient with him are going to get more of those 20 point outings thanks like you said cats to uh, you know one of the uh, you know some of the best running uh uh you know uh skills in the game at quarterback uh more of those types of games than he's going to get those 10 point clunkers uh so i really like that um i speaking of running uh i'm gonna uh throw another one out to you uh cats and i'm gonna preface this by throwing out an interesting stat going back uh, uh since 2015 on average, the top 11 preseason quarterbacks, on average, over the last seven seasons, have done worse than their ADP. And we, you'd expect that from, you know, one, two, and three, because it's very hard for the number one overall quarterback to do better than their ADP. All they can do is the same amount. But the, the biggest losers have been the first and third and 11th ranked QBs. They have, on average, dropped the most. On average, they've been QB2s, or in the case of the QB11 preseason, has on average been a QB3. So this idea of, oh, yeah, these are the top eight guys. We know who they are because this website says it. Well, you don't know. And so the exciting part is that when you start going through quarterbacks 12 through 15 preseason, on average, 12, 13, 14, 15 have all averaged better than their ADP. 
all of them entering on average the QB1 fray, the top 12 area. So these guys who are in this kind of, you know, think about Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts last year. Think about uh, even a, you know, a few years ago, Patrick Mahomes, the year before that, Lamar Jackson. All these guys in the, you know, in the QB2, the, the, the top half of the QB2 range are great bets to take that next leap historically on average. I'm betting on Trevor Lawrence, who goes back even further, but I think he's a QB2 waiting to be a QB1. It's going to sound ridiculous because Trevor Lawrence, uh, I think he had seven or eight games last year where he didn't have a touchdown, like in a row. Um, it was uh, a disaster. Maybe he had one touchdown in the span. That's From what it week was. two through 16, he did not throw more than one touchdown in any game. And and from weeks nine to 16, he had one touchdown. Correct. Total in that eight-game stretch, which had to have been some kind of modern-day record. I mean, it's very hard to, to you know, there's third-string quarterbacks out there who would get you five or six in a typical offense. Trevor Lawrence got one. So he, he is entering this season uh, uh, purely, you know, talent, not based on track record. And his track record last year proved awful. And yet, when you look beyond the pretty poor numbers, what you see beyond his talent is a guy who is a capable rusher as he was in college. And when they used him as a as a kind of a dual threat, the fake handoffs he was doing, the end arounds, he was effective in that role. He would be good for four to five yards on those on those plays. They just didn't do it enough. Now you've got Christian Kirk. You still have Marvin Jones. You've got Travis Etienne, healthy, presumably, and starting week one, or at least co-starting if James Robinson is back. So you have a stronger backfield longer term. Um, and, you know, you've got, what, Evan Engram, who uh, I think is overvalued, but the fact is he's an upgrade over, um, you know, over who, over James Shaughnessy. So, you know, there's there's these, you know, LaVisca Chanel I haven't even mentioned, of course, whatever, Zay Jones, right? Like, they have too many receivers. And as I've said before in this podcast, it stinks if you're investing in one of those receivers in fantasy because you're not getting multiple thousand-yard receivers unless that receiving core consolidates massively by week one. And it probably won't. But it's a benefit to someone like Trevor Lawrence, who on every single drive has six to seven weapons that he can work with with his backfield of two very good running backs and his receiving core of at least five guys who can catch the ball. And when I say at least, it is at least, if you go on paper, Jamal Agnew is like their sixth string receiver. But for a while last year, he was their number one guy. So this is a dramatically shifted offense, new coaching, uh, you know, new, uh, uh, you know, a, a new number one in Christian Kirk, which you hope is going to work out. And the idea is that what we saw last year with Trevor Lawrence before DJ Chark went down was a promising start to an NFL career. And now we see a guy who finally has the pieces in place to be a 25 to 28 touchdown quarterback. And oh, by the way, I think he'll take a leap forward, rush for about 400 yards. He showed he could, he had, I think, 17 touchdowns across two, his final two college seasons uh, in, in the, uh, uh, showing that he can uh, basically find pay dirt from near the goal line. He's not afraid to use his body and get in the end zone. This is a guy that I think is going to be one of the um, trendiest 
picks in deep leagues. And I think by week two, week three, he's going to be rostered in most leagues. Katz, what do you got to push back on me? I will start by saying that uh, I'm going to do my best in August to not criticize anyone who drafts Trevor Lawrence for a couple of reasons. One, he's going to be basically a last round pick. He will be free. There will be no no risk associated with drafting him. So from that regard, it's hard to criticize a pick that does not carry any risk. He's also a former first overall pick. Uh, so it'd be fair to give him a little more leeway than one season where he where he was uh, forced to play under the worst head coach in NFL history who had no idea what he was doing. So from those angles, I understand buying into Trevor Lawrence and giving him a complete mulligan on his first season. On the flip side, there are historical trends here that are concerning. Um, as an example, we had another rookie last year by the name of Davis Mills, who had a significantly higher completion percentage than Lawrence by a full 7.2%. He averaged more passing yards per game. He threw four more touchdowns and seven fewer interceptions despite starting six fewer games. By all accounts, Davis Mills played better as a rookie. And if we want to draw parallels between what Lawrence did as a rookie to some other guys, well, let me give you a list of quarterbacks who threw for more touchdowns than Trevor Lawrence did as a rookie. Uh, just a couple guys I'm going to throw out there. Uh, Brandon Whedon, uh, Christian Ponder, um, Vince Young had the same amount. Uh, Byron Leftwich, Sam Darnold, Sam Bradford, Mike Glennon. These are not exactly yes, uh, a former number one overall pick in there too. That's uh... <laughs> I mean, yes, but these are not exactly quarterbacks that went on to have tremendous careers and they all threw, they all had better rookie seasons than Trevor Lawrence. Again, circumstances do matter, but based purely on Lawrence's statistical performance as a rookie, he is, he is, uh, it would be an upset for him to ever emerge into a capable NFL quarterback. Not saying that's my prediction. I'm just saying that that is what these, the historical data would suggest. Uh, so there, there's there's caution there when it comes to Lawrence. I do hope he succeeds because I root for all these players. But I, it's far from a sure thing, despite him being pegged as this uh, greatest prospect since Andrew Luck. Before you get to your last player, I've got I'm going to throw out one more quarterback that you left out that I noticed. I was waiting for you to mention him, Peyton Manning. So last year, Trevor Lawrence had a higher QB rating than Peyton Manning had in his rookie year. Uh, Peyton Manning still had 26 touchdowns, which was fantastic back in 1998 for a rookie and is fantastic uh, in general. Um, in fact, uh, Peyton Manning, I think he, uh, I don't know if he was offense rookie, you know, a player of the year or, or if he was up there, but he, everyone knew he was the real deal after what was a pretty up and down, I would say very shaky rookie campaign. Um I don't want to compare Trevor Lawrence to Peyton Manning, but I will say that that year, Peyton Manning had Marshall Falk on his team. He had Marvin Harrison on his team. I think that uh, Trevor Lawrence never had a shot to do much of anything with DJ Chark, uh, and a soon-to-be injured DJ Chark as his number one receiver, and Jamal Agnew eventually becoming his number two. I think it was arguably the worst situation a number one overall quarterback has ever been thrust into. And I think that uh, I, I and, and so I'll say if Peyton Manning had a worse QB rating, I think it's fair to say 
Trevor Lawrence has great room to excel and become a Hall of Fame quarterback. But I'll, I'll, I'll counter I'll that by saying back in 2012, I mean, we, we saw a tremendous rookie season from Robert Griffin, and he was thrown to the likes of Santana Moss, uh, Pierre Garçon, and Leonard Hankerson. Uh, so my counter would be uh, good quarterbacks will find a way to at least be decent. And Trevor Lawrence was very, very far away from decent, despite admittedly a weak supporting cast. That's true. That's true. Uh, he was far from decent. He was he was arguably uh, the worst, if not one of the two or three worst starting quarterbacks to start, what, eight, nine, ten games last year. Who's who's your last guy, Cats? All right. My last guy, I'm going with a, an old veteran here, Russell Wilson. Uh, there, there were admittedly some concerns from fantasy managers following Wilson's return from his finger injury that perhaps he is declining. Uh, Russell Wilson is getting up there in age. He will turn 34 this year. And although 34 is not necessarily old for quarterbacks, it is for quarterbacks that are typically viewed as mobile quarterbacks. And Russell Wilson, for most of his career, not last season, but for most of his career, has been a mobile quarterback. And we've seen guys like Cam Newton and Michael Vick over the years. They break down in their early 30s, and that's just it. They, they break down more like running backs and receivers as opposed to quarterbacks. Uh, Russell Wilson wants to play until he's 45. He said so, uh, said as much in a recent interview. But I'd be surprised if he was still out there at age 40, although Russell Wilson is, is kind of a, a different animal when it comes to um, – how he treats his body and his desire and, and things like that. Uh, but I, I, I like Russell Wilson to have a shot at a bounce back year this season. Uh, his 17.8 uh, points per game last year was his lowest since 2016. And it coincided with him averaging just 13 rushing yards per game, by far uh, his lowest of his career. And he's not running. He's going to need elite passing numbers. And that's not going to happen either at just 28.5 pass attempts per game which is what he saw last season. The hope, and what I'm gonna, what I'm buying into, is that in Denver, with weapons like uh, Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, Albert Okuibunum, I hope I said that right, uh, they will let him throw the ball 35 times per game. And more dropbacks, more opportunities to tactically scramble. He's not going to be the guy that runs a bunch of read options anymore or is out there putting his body on the line, but he can still be a tactical scrambler who rushes when the opportunity presents itself. His career best rushing numbers, 53 yards per game in 2014. Obviously, that's not happening. But all he needs is something like the 21 yards per game he averaged in 2019. That would be enough to propel him back into that top eight. I think there's a real chance it happens for Russell Wilson. He's currently, or he's projected to be drafted right outside that top eight. Maybe as a lower end QB one. And this is still somebody who has that upside, especially if the volume is there, because he's always been efficient to be a top eight or even a top five quarterback once again. So uh, I, I really like that call. Um, I've been doing some, uh, uh, some research on uh, age, player age, and how it impacts uh, production. And one of the interesting things about um, being, if you divide up quarterbacks by four age groups, 21 to 24, 25, 28, 29 to 32, and then 33 and up, those 33 and up quarterbacks tend to increasingly basically go from well underperforming expectations when they're considered preseason elite or nearly. But then as they start getting into the QB2 range, they're actually better bets than uh, every other group except the youngest group to exceed ADP expectations. There's something about the market 
that tends to look at those QB2s in you know the older guys who are QB2s and kind of forget about them, kind of push them to the sideline when in fact they've still got some juice left. And certainly Wilson is entering a situation that is pretty optimal. If you're going to leave Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf and enter a situation where you have a better running game uh, and uh, ju- arguably just as good of a receiving core, maybe not just as good, we'll see, but arguably just as good as a receive- of a receiving core, we will see for the apples to apples comparison. But I, it's, I think that that uh, he is a very good bet to get back into that top eight realm. And I, there, there are going to be a lot of people who look well past Russell Wilson, even though he has a great landing spot. There's so many other trendy younger guys that people are going to lunge for. I think a lot of people out there can find Wilson at 10, 11, 12 in their draft. And what a great opportunity to pounce on a veteran who can still get it done. So yeah, I love that. Yeah, Russell Wilson, despite him having perceived down years, he's never been bad. His lowest fantasy points per game output of his career was 17.4 in 2013. Last year, during what was perceived to be a bad year, possibly the start of this massive decline for Russell Wilson, 17.8. I mean, he didn't win you at a league, but he wasn't out there costing you matchups. Um it was on the downside, of course, of what we wanted. We want a QB one, but Russell Wilson wasn't a wasn't the disaster that he, he felt like during the season. Uh, so I think there's a real chance he can bounce back this year. Well, once again, um, we've got uh, these are the four guys. Uh, Katz mentions Russell Wilson and Trey Lance as two guys with paths to top eight QB production. There is almost no way that you will see either of those guys in the top eight, possibly not in the top 10. Um, but Katz has given some really good uh, intel on why he thinks these two uh, can shine. Uh, and I've got uh, Trevor Lawrence and Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, I think uh, Katz uh, is in general agreement with Tua as a possibility. Uh, with Trevor Lawrence, we probably couldn't be further apart on anything. And I, when I say anything, I mean anything. So it will be fun in week three or week four for one of us to ping the other and say, I told you so, but we'll wait until week three or four to get that done. Katz, as always, thank you for joining me on this and a uh, pleasure to join you. Again, this is BJ Rudell with Jason Katz, better known as Katz, Pro Football Network. Find us at, profo- at profootballnetwork.com or on social media or anywhere else. If there is a subject or a player that you want us to focus on, message us. We're interested in what you have to say, and we'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow.